0: We are talking about James, the book of James. James was written, many scholars believe, by the brother of Jesus. There's actually five James in Scripture in the New Testament. And many scholars believe that it's the brother of Jesus that wrote the book of James. He was hostile through much of what we know as the Gospels. And he was not sympathetic toward Jesus' ministry or the preparation of it. And what we know of James was not, he wasn't for it. He wasn't with him. Um, But there was a radical change in the book of Acts. Something happened specifically to James. And the book that we're studying is written by the guy that had a life change experience. And became a totally different person. One of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So as we're studying the book of James, keep that in mind of who James is. James is also writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to just random people somewhere. He's writing... To believers, to the way the people who followed Yahweh gave their life believed in Jesus and their path. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Verse 1 through 12. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I, I, believe, I believe this is the owner's manual for your life, in my life, and we need to respect God's Word. Verse 1, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendships with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. Verse 6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore he says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you're a judge of the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Father, it's our desire to learn more about truths in Scripture. As we talk about James today, make it clear to us that we can see what you see. That we allow you to help change us. For it's your name, that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> maturity, maturity is defined probably 150 different ways in here. How would you define maturity? The book of James is about trying to mature believers. How we define maturity probably has to do with the environment we came from. Maybe to do with the family we grew up in. You can define it as slow to speak, maybe kind, slow to react, Patient, overcoming temptation, full of wisdom, makes wise decisions, practices practices discipline, controls their tongue, makes peace, prays a lot. We could go on and on and on and try to define in some way maturity, but it's wrapped up in such a huge ball. Because we have a sin nature that keeps us from getting there in the maturity of Christ. It's a journey we're on. It's not a destination. And all of us have the same problem. We need Jesus in our life to overcome the sin nature that we all have. Last week, Frank Matthews, one of our elders, inactive elder, but... uh, very wise, wise gentleman, uh, he spoke and led us in the section of scripture right before this. And I wanted to talk briefly about that because that is exactly what builds to this section of scripture. Because we're talking about different parts of maturity. And as we're talking about different parts of maturity, there are two different Avenues you can take. These are bricks. Frank led us in understanding what these bricks do. Because they do two things. And you choose individually what you want to do with those bricks. It could be a weapon. I could throw this brick right out there in the middle really hard and cause damage. I can hurl it at someone. Number two, I could use it to build. To edify. The New Testament word of edification. I can build with it and build a very solid foundation. Or I could use it as a weapon. And what we're talking about today... Is just this. Now, I want you to grab it because it's a decision we're making. This is about the heart, this is about who we are. And James is talking about a very vital part of our Christian walk because it's unseen. And when it blurts out, it can be damaging, it can hurt. If not done correctly, it can stab, inflict wounds. If done well, it can build and become mature. So I want you to know all the way through this, there's two parts of this at war within us. We've talked about the things of James that we could learn. And there is so much in this book, in this scripture. I I, I challenge you to read it again. To understand the things that God would want to teach you about maturing in your faith. Have you ever heard, who's heard of the War of the Whiskers? Anybody heard of that? Has anybody ever heard of the War of the Oak Bucket? Anybody? Those are actual wars among nations. <laughs> it, it 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 just it's hard to believe that there are actual wars named after probably something really really small that started an oak bucket. What? The War of the Whiskers. You know, I'm picturing a cat somehow, but. Something small that began to balloon up where people, maybe two people, maybe two families, are starting to build allies. And then they start spreading rumors and lies and half-truth. And pretty soon, they're nations that are fighting at war. War is a part of our culture and never designed by God. The pride in the win is what we're talking about. The fighting, the arguing, the taking sides, it's the proud versus the humble. That's what we want to talk about today. Before we jump in, I want to, I want to mention these three things that are at war among each of us. And Paul mentions all three in this scripture. The first one is war with each other. War with, with each other is kind of like uh, we talked actually twice in the last month about class judgment. Educated, uneducated. Wealthy, un- unwealthy. Um, people that are Dallas Cowboy fans or Redskin fans, yeah. or Giants, sorry. Um, or dress differently. All the things that happen in class judgment church fights, personal squabbles, things that are insignificant in the view of God. But because we are on the throne inside of us and we're not fighting to put Jesus on the throne, we start having war with each other. Number two, war within us. War with ourselves. It's the continual battle of trying to put selfish desires down and pick up the desires of God. It's the constant battle of coveting that I want something that somebody else has. The damaging parts of our life and selfishness and lust that tear us down. Number three, war with God. Rebellion against God the things that separate us, the flesh. To have communion with God is very difficult, impossible, according to Scripture, if you love the world. If you love this world, you're an enemy of God. We weren't designed for here. We weren't made to be here. So let's jump in. Number one, God is in charge. Now, James is writing to believers I mentioned a while ago. He's writing to the church. Sometimes we forget this. It's not, he's not writing to the enemy of the church. He's writing to the church. When I try to see, sit in the seat that belongs to Jesus, it doesn't go very well, Ever. Read all the way back through the Old and New Testaments of of Scripture, and you'll find that we're not alone. I'm not alone. Over and over again, God revealed himself to people, actually spoke clearly to them. And over and over again, they chose not to obey God. Now, when I was a teenager, I remember studying a lot of stuff, and I remember thinking, well, they must have not known God wanted to do that. They must have not understood what God said. They must have thought that He said go left when He said go right. He, they thought that they were going to go in the valley and they were supposed to go to the mountain. They thought that overtaking the city meant burning it down or burning it down meant overtaking the God was clear in His message every time in the Old Testament. And over and over again, the people of God did not do what God wanted. They went against God. Paul talks a lot about it in the New Testament, especially after Acts, when all the churches are beginning to be formed in cities. Paul is referring, referring to the very thing of trying to do what God wants to do. He talks about pr- protecting a vain conceit, to watch out for others, the unity of believers. Words, over and over again, are meant to bring people together and not divide, divide. to love your neighbor, to be very cautious about selfishness, pride, to exude humbleness, not boastfulness. And if you do boast, boast in the Lord over and over again. He says the same thing. James comes along and is saying the very same thing again in a different way. He's coming into the part of uh, me trying to change things. Me trying to do the things that me wants to do. The English teachers in here just shuddered. Me. Anyway. Um, The very simple things of James' time... I think he's referring to and must have been dealing with in all the churches when James was writing this. Actually, in verse 1, What is the source of wars and fights among you that come from your passions and wage war within you? Is the summary statement and the subject for this whole section of Scripture. So he's defining a little bit more about what is coming in these two Parts. What we have here is a situation of pride and arrogance. Back to me that's on the throne. Me trying to do what me sees. That I'm the judge. It's been said prayer is not about getting man's will done in heaven. It's about getting God's will done on earth. When he talks about prayer, he talks about it in a way that the understanding of prayer is that it's not just a prayer before a meal. It's a prayer that we are living in. That we walk in communion with God. We walk in the Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, then we're trying to get God's will done here on earth. We're not trying to get our will done in heaven. Prayer. Verses 2 and 3 are about asking But having the right motive. Back to the, you're a friend of the world and you're an enemy to God. To summarize that, I would say the problem is selfishness and pride. The antidote is humility found in Jesus. Let's say it like this. Pride is all about me. When I live my life, the pride of life, when, it, when I'm living my life my way, the issues become great and confusing. Humility is all about Jesus and that we're trying to follow Him. We're trying to get instruction from Him and we do things the way He says to do them. Not in our own eyes. Not what's right. With what we see. When it's about me, well, I find things that promote me. I do the things that make me look good. I try to travel down the path to make me the subject. When I'm a friend of the world and myself, it confuses the message of the gospel that I chase that I try to see, that I try to find. The friend of the world of pride and arrogance and selfishness, that's the world that God did not design. The help of the Holy Spirit, we can change that as a church. We change it within our church. We can change it within our community, with the friends, the neighbors, the people we work with, it's a slow go, but it's by example. It's not by instruction. The instruction is to us. The instruction is to us. The instruction is not to them. We carry that message because of what we do and who we are and how we act. Number one, God is in control. Number two, God is sufficient. Look at verse 6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded. Be miserable and mourning, Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I believe the words of James are straightforward. I don't think we have to unpack that a lot. We have to do it. We have to act on what we know. God should be the one that you're chasing. Are you chasing something different? Are you trying to chase contentment? If you're chasing contentment outside of the Lord, then you're yelling notice me. Notice me. Instead, we we kind of forget verse 10 and we, we're back in verse 9 and we're trying to figure out in verse 9, does God want me to live miserably? No. He, what he's referring to in 7 through 9, he's talking about repentance. It's turning away from the nature that we have. We don't have to We don't have to try and practice to be ugly to people, to be mean. We don't have to try that. It just happens. What we're trying to do in verse 10 humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let God take care of justice. You and me take care of the humble spirit that the repentance in him brings. That's the meekness of the Lord. That fills the vacuum in your life, that hole that you're trying to fill up. If it's not contentment, it becomes coveting, and down we spiral. If it becomes hate, we're trying to fill love, and instead we put hate or ugliness, and down we spiral. It's the vacuum in our life that we're trying to fill, and we're not filling it with the Holy Spirit the paraclete, the comforter of God. You want to see real change in your life? Then you humble yourself before the Lord. You see there's a better way. You resist the devil. Draw near to God. Clean up your life and get rid of sin. Return to Jesus and he will lift you up. That's the paraphrase, that's, that's the paraphrase version of this whole passage of Scripture. It's not in my own power. It's in the power of God in me. The humility comes in. It's not trying our way. That we fight dissatisfaction. It's God's way. Humbling ourselves. Returning to Jesus and allowing Him to bring fulfillment. God's in control. God is sufficient. And number three, God is the judge. Verses 11 and 12 are about there's only one Jesus and it's not me. It's not you. There's only one. The judge, the law giver and the difference of being a doer of the law. And the very first part of that uh, section of scripture in verse 11. Don't criticize one another. James is not issuing a very warm and fuzzy statement. He just simply says, do not criticize one another. Now again, he's not talking to the lost people only. He's not talking to the people who are outside of the church He's talking to the church, to the believers, the people who are sitting together, worshiping together, studying, praying. Don't do it. Oh, but it's so easy to see the speck in somebody else's eye. <laughs> Matthew 7 3 talks about the speck in someone else's eye, and you're not looking at the log in your own eye. It's too hard to see the log in my own eye. I'm busy looking for the speck in other people's eyes. That whole section of Scripture, uh, the beginning part of uh, verses uh, 1 through 7 in Matthew 7, talk about this very same thing. And James takes it to the next level. In Matthew, in the Gospels, it's talking about don't judge people. He takes it to the next level in James. James says, do not criticize one another because you are not the judge. We weren't designed that way. We're not making the law. We don't decide who is obeying the law or not. It's our job to obey, to be doers of the law. Don't judge and criticize. That's God's job god does it because he is the judge now we've all been victims or recipients of criticism the very thing that he's talking about and here is the issuers of the criticism those that are critical of others and if you're not critical of others then you might need another sermon We know this is a command of James to be true. It's written several times in Scripture when we talk about receiving criticism that's not with love. It hurts. Many of us have been a part of that. If you've received criticism and it was not brought to you in love, it hurts. It's judgmental. The very same thing would be true if we issue criticism without love. It hurts. It's so hard to sit down with someone in love and issue criticism. Matter of fact, you better be really prayed up if you're going to sit down with someone and be critical of someone else. Because I'm telling you, what's going to happen is, according to Matthew... If you judge in the spirit of your criticism, then you will be judged in the spirit of your criticism. The hardest thing to do is to sit down and to talk about something that somebody else needs to know if it's brought in love. It's real easy to just pick up the brick and hurl it. Very easy to do that. And we usually just walk away. Leave the brick in their forehead, you know. We walk away. Our job is done. We're, we're finished. No. According to James, we're walking together in the spirit of love. More than the hurt that's issued here, we find ourselves trying to sit in a seat that was never designed for us. That's why it's so difficult to sit and bring criticism to someone in love because you care so much about them that you're with them, you're walking with them, and you want them to be in the know. The reason is we weren't designed to be the judge of the law. We were designed to be doers of the law. There's only one Jesus, and I'm not him, and you're not him either. We are walking together. We are a part of the body of Christ, so let's embrace what this means and what this does. If we walk this way, Planet Fitness won't have anything on us, the judgment-free zone. How many people pay $10 a month and never go? Okay, never mind. That's another story. Um, I've never done that. No. Um, (laughs) Wow. Anyway. Planet Fitness would have nothing on the church. But instead, Satan brings his little claws in and starts in a... You know, and sometimes it can be probably in the best of intentions you see. And it starts the war of the oak bucket. The war of the whiskers. <laughs> Back to the cat. The, the dumbest, smallest things that we forget where we're looking. Our eyes are not on the Lord. Our eyes are not on God. Our eyes are on ourselves. We all are sinners. We all are in need of Jesus. We're going to take the Lord's Supper after a response song. And during the response song, I want you to have the opportunity to get right with God. There's two things that I need to say that we rarely get the opportunity to say it before a Lord's Supper. Number one is that you take the Lord's Supper because of your relationship with Christ. It's a personal relationship with Christ. Taking the Lord's Supper does not save you. A relationship with Jesus Christ saves you. And the second part is Jesus said this, that we take it as before he returns. That as long as he has not returned, we continue taking it, remembering the body and the blood. The crucifixion of Christ is something that we all need. We all have the same problem. And when we're taking the Lord's Supper, there is the unity word again. The unity in Christ something we do together we offer it every sunday personally on each side of the worship center and on each side you can go individually and remember the lord the body and the blood we five times a year we do it together corporately sometimes six and when we do it we do it in the unity of the body So we we do it with each other. So the second part of the Lord's Supper is not just making sure that you're right with God. It's making sure that you're right with each other. If there's anything that you harbor, if there's any judgment that you keep, that you let it go and confess it. It's the sins that you confess that are freedom in the Spirit. It's not standing up here at a microphone and blurting out all the things that I do wrong. What I do wrong to an individual that affects my relationship with them, it's my responsibility to go to them and make sure that we're right. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. Communion with God, communion with each other. So as our worship band is coming up, I want to ask that of you today that we use this response song for that purpose to prepare for communion together.